In pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential. 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 Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. like you to join me, Jesus House, as we welcome the ministration of Pastor Sholai Ruku. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Thank God. Um, good afternoon, church. And um, my husband says he sends his greetings. He's in sunny Lagos at Redemption Camp, but he'll be back soon, so yeah. Okay, the title of my message this morning is No Longer a Slave to Sin. And I'll start off by telling us a story. Now, there once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs whose waters were clear like crystal. Children laughed and they played beside it. Swans and geese flew and skirted across the stream. The stream was so clear that you could see the rocks and the sand at its bottom. And rainbow trout could be seen swimming in the stream. There was an old man who served as the keeper of the springs. And his job was to travel from spring to spring, clearing all the clutter, removing the branches, the fallen leaves, the twigs, or any debris that might pollute the waters and cause it not to be as clear as it should be. His work was unseen. And then one year, the town council, as they typically do sometimes, they decided they had no money. And so they laid off the old man, the keeper of the stream, and so the spring was left unattended. And so twigs and branches, mud and silt, refuse, farm waste began to accumulate in the stream. And what was a clear stream suddenly became a stagnant bog, suddenly became a swampland. And for a time, no one in the village noticed that anything had changed. But after a while, the waters became smelly, they became brackish. They became salty, they became dirty, they became unpleasant. And then the swarms and the geese that used to fly down and skirt the waters didn't come anymore. And the water no longer had a crisp sense, and so the kids stayed away from it. And the sparkling beauty of the stream that used to flow between the banks of the town was lost. You know, over, over several years now as a church, we've been learning about the Holy Spirit. We've been learning about his personality, his role in our lives. We have been a, on a journey of developing a closer and an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And in that journey, we've learned that the Holy Spirit can be described as a wind. He can be described as a fire. And often he's described as a river, stream of living water. John 4, 14 says, But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I give him, Jesus speaking, will become in him a spring of water satisfying his thirst for God, welling up 
continually flowing, bubbling within him to eternal life, speaking of the presence of the Holy Spirit. For like the stream that I described in the story previously, the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is like a stream. It's a stream of living water that brings beauty to our lives. It brings clarity to our lives. It brings an appealing aura. It, it brings a sweet-smelling fragrance that those around us see and they're drawn to the Holy Spirit, to the presence of God on our inside. It brings glory to God. But unfortunately, just like the story, there are things that can clog up that stream. It can prevent the free flow of the Spirit of God in our lives. It can prevent the overflow of God's Spirit. And today I believe the Holy Spirit, the keeper of the streams, is drawing our attention to the twigs, to the branches, to the mud, to the farm waste, to the debris, and other rubbish in our lives that can clog up the flow of the stream in our lives that can cause the spring of living waters or the rivers of living waters, the Holy Spirit flowing through our lives, that can prevent it from a smooth flow, that can prevent it from being crystal clear, that can prevent it from being crisp. And those twigs, those branches, that rubbish, that debris, that farm waste is just an allegory of sin. And the effect that sin has on you and I's relationship with the river of living waters, the Holy Spirit. And you know, another character about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And in John 16, 13, we're told that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will guide you and I into all truth. And so today, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to lead you and I into the truth about what sin really is. And the impact that it has on our lives and the impact that it has on our relationship with him. I believe he wants us to understand how by God's grace we can lead a life that overcomes sin. A life of walking victoriously in abundance and the overflow of God's spirit. And so what things would he have us understand this morning? Firstly, I believe that he would have us understand that sin is an offense primarily and firstly against God. It's not firstly a sin against you. It's not firstly a sin against me. It is firstly and primarily a sin against God. For sin is a transgression of God's law. You know, when we sin, we either violate God's prohibitive commandments or we omit practicing his positive commandments. What do I mean by that? We violate God's prohibitive commandments. For example, he tells us, thou shall not steal. And so when we steal, we violate his prohibitive commandment, you shall not. Or when we omit to do his positive commandments, when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, or when he says, give to the poor, and when we don't do it, we omit to do his positive commandments, we sin. And you know, since God's law is a reflection of his holy nature, when we sin by transgressing, we offend him personally. And something that you and I must never forget is that we're not our own. Our lives are not our own. Our lives are God's. We are God's. Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 6.19, and I'm reading the Amplified. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you and whom you have received as a gift from God and that you are not your own property? When we sin, we grieve the one, the Holy Spirit who lives in us. For we are his temple, we are his dwelling place. You know, any relationship, any intimate relationship, any close relationship, the last thing you want to do is to offend the person. In a marriage, the last thing you want to do is to offend your partner. 
For offense within a relationship causes a drawing apart. It causes a separation. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit living on our inside. Ephesians 4.30, and I'm reading the Passion Translation, it says, So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence in your life. Or the Amplified says it like this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but seek to please Him by whom you and I were sealed and marked and branded as God's own. The second thing we must understand is that God is a holy God and that his character and nature is holiness. You know, God's speaking to Moses in the book of Leviticus 19.2 and he's speaking to you and I in Jesus' house today and he's speaking to those of you watching online. God's speaking to us, he's saying, speak to all the congregations, speak to the congregations of Jesus' house, the congregation watching online and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. You know, from Genesis to Revelation, we see one of the desires of God, and it's to dwell with man. And we see it in the Old Testament how the presence of God, the Spirit of God will descend. It will descend upon the tabernacle of meetings where Moses stood. And sometimes when he wanted a job to be done, we read how he descended upon Moses. His Spirit descended upon Joshua. His presence descended upon Samson. And they would go out and they would slay their enemies. But the difference then was that once the Holy Spirit had done his job, his work, his Spirit went back. But God desired that he would come and tabernacle permanently with you and I. He would dwell with us permanently. But the challenge was, how could a holy God, who the Bible says the heavens of heavens cannot contain, who the Bible says the angels cover their faces with their wings because they cannot behold his presence, how could a God who was so holy dwell in frail and sinful man? That was the challenge. The prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk 1.13 said, But your eyes, speaking of God, are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. He cannot dwell where there is sin. He cannot dwell where there is evil. But he wants to pour out his spirit in you and I. He wants to overflow in his children. But sin stands as a barrier. Thirdly, we need to understand the deceptiveness of sin. You know, there's so many, several deceptions about sin. But because of time, I'll just highlight three. The first deception I believe that we need to understand about sin is an idea that sometimes we get that there is a grading in sin. Almost like swimming lessons, almost like music lessons that start from grade one when you're a beginner to grade eight. So it's almost like the lies, the jealousy in my heart is grade one. And then the murder and the killings and the gross misconducts are grade eight. But you know that's a deception of sin. For in God's eyes, sin is sin. There's no grade one, there's no grade four, there's no grade eight. In God's eyes, sin is sin. Whether it be lying, whether it be stealing, backbiting, jealousy. Whether it be gossip, rebellion, pride, anger, worry, doubt. Whether it be murmuring, whether it be rebellion against authority, whether it be selfish ambitions, whether it be wrong motives of my heart, whether it be deception, whether it be slander, 
whether it be insincerity, whether it be unforgiveness, whether it be that I disrespect my parents, whether it be sexual immorality, whether it be addiction, whether it be my ego, whether it be bitterness, whatever name it is called, sin is sin. It has no grading in God's eyes. Another deception about sin is that it's in my heart and so it doesn't do any harm to anyone. What can a little envy do? What can a little jealousy? What can a little gossip between my friend and I do? What can a little backbiting do? What can a little murmuring in my heart against authority? What can it do? You know, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, the New Living Translation says, catch all the foxes. Those little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of love. Or the Passion Translation puts it so eloquently, you must catch the troubling foxes. Those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship, speaking about our relationship with God. For they raid our budding vineyard of love to ruin what I have planted within you, God speaking. God says, will you catch them and remove them for me? And he says, we will do it together. You know, I love that scripture. And particularly that TPT translation because it's an allegory that it makes us realize that our relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit, that the little sins, the hidden sins, the little foxes, they'll spoil that relationship. They will ruin that love relationship. But you know, I'm also encouraged that God sees the depths of our hearts. And in the words of the song by Chris Tomlin, in indescribable, he sees the depth of your heart. He sees the depth of my heart. And he loves me the same. But he loves me enough to not allow me to get away with what will separate me away from him. Encouraging words about God's love towards us. But he also confirms that God sees the depth of our heart. He sees what no one else sees. And that he wants us to deal decisively with them. So that the flow of the Spirit of God in our hearts is not hindered. And you know, I know a lot about foxes. Because my, house, my garden has urban foxes. And you know, like sin, we've had them for many years. I think they've probably been there since we moved in there, 10 years now. But, you know, you came out, you could smell them, they were around, they didn't bother you. And then one day I woke up in the morning and I looked onto our garden and I saw them sitting on my garden like dogs. They had obviously taken territory. And one thing about foxes and like sin, it, they take territories. They mark it out. And I thought, wow, they're now sitting on my garden. And then one day I woke up and I looked out of my window and I saw a little fox. And it was the cutest thing ever. But isn't that how sin starts off? And I remember saying, oh my goodness, I need to get my phone. And my husband said, what are you talking about? It's a fox. And I said, but it's so cute. And then one day we woke up and our cars had scratch marks all over. The foxes that we had tolerated now were not just sitting on our garden. They were not just fouling up the garden. They were not just digging up my plants. But now they were jumping on our cars and scratching our cars and causing so much damage. That's why God says, deal with the little foxes. The third deception is that we believe that we can control sin in the flesh by our own effort. The belief that when I decide I'm going to stop that sin, I'll stop it. I just haven't decided to stop it. 
And I'm reminded of the heartfelt cry by Paul in Romans 7, 15. And Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Verse 17 says, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And this scripture is not a shirking of responsibility by Paul, but it's a recognition that he wants to share with you and he wants to share with me that there is a powerful force behind sin. Fourthly, we need to understand the destructive nature of sin. And two stories in the Old Testament bring that really clearly to mind. The first is the story of Abel and Cain, the first twins that we hear about in the Bible. And as I'm sure a lot of us know that story, they brought an offering before God. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice and he despised, the Bible says, Cain's sacrifice. And I guess what should have happened was Cain just goes back to God and says, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, I've sinned against you. I haven't offered the sacrifice as you said I should. But no, instead the sin stayed there. And the sin became anger. And the sin became jealousy. And the sin became rage. And after a while, that sin became murder. That's the nature of sin. The destructive nature of sin. You know, Genesis 4, 7, from that story, the NLT, and I love it. God spoke to Cain and said, you'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. For sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Or as the Amplified Version says it, if you do well, God speaking to Cain and speaking to you and I, believe in me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well but ignore my instructions, sin crouches at your door. Its desire is for you to overpower you, but you must master it. It's a warning to you and I of sin's destructive intent that sin aims to overpower us and to control us. It shows how sin grows and grows and grows and grows until it destroys. I'll tell us another story from the Old Testament about the children of Israel. You know, when they had walked through the, through the wilderness for 40 years and they got to the brink of, of, of the promised land and God was going to take them in. And God told Moses, he told Joshua, he told, you know what, this land before you, I've given it to you. No one will be able to stand with, before you. The Old Testament speaks at, at how the sheer mention of the children of Israel and God Jehovah used to put fright into the hearts of the, of the Philistines and, and the Jebusites and the Hivites and the Gergeshites and all of them. But God told them, but do not sin against me, do not break my law. Because the day that you break those laws, the people that used to run away from you will fight you and destroy you. And so God told them, go to Jericho, take over Jericho, I've given it to you. And they went. And God delivered Jericho into their hands. But God gave them clear instructions. He said, you're not to take anything. You can take the gold and silver and use it in my temple, but you must not take anything and you must kill everything. But Achan, from the tribe of Judah, decided for whatever reason that he would take some things for his personal gain. And he kept it. And God kept his promise, the battle of Jericho, they, de they defeated, they annihilated Jericho. And so the next place God told them to take over was I. 
And so they went to Ayaz before. God had given them a promise. God had told them that he was going to conquer, that he was going to take them in. But they had forgotten that something had changed. Sin had entered into the camp. And so they go to I as before, that God has promised and will conquer. And when they got there, the children of I killed thousands of the children of Israel. It was unbelievable. And so after the, after the, after the battle, they came back home and they cried and they wept. That Lord, what had happened? And then God told them, and I'll read it. Rise up, and it's Joshua 6. It's Joshua 7 from 11 to 13. But I'll take out bits because of time. That is why the soldiers of Israel could not stand and defend themselves before their enemies. They turned their backs and ran before them because they had become accursed. I will not be with you anymore, says God, unless you destroy the things under the ban from among you. God speaking, rise up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, these are things under the ban among you, O Israel. You cannot stand victorious before your enemies until you remove the things under the ban from among you. The presence of sin prevented the Holy Spirit from coming down mightily upon them. Fifthly, we must understand the enemy of our soul, Satan. And his one objective is to deliberately and intentionally ensure that you and I are kept out of the presence of our God. To ensure that you and I do not enjoy the abundant life that John 10, 10 says that Jesus came to give us life in his abundance. That intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, that's his number one agenda. And his choice weapon for this is sin. He chooses sin because he's a spirit and he gets it. He understands the spirit realm. He understands that there is structure, there is order, there is hierarchy. He understands that God is God and while he loves us, he cannot tolerate sin. And he must judge sin. He is the recipient of the judgment of God's God upon you because of sin. And so he understands that if he wants to obstruct that relationship, if he wants to obstruct the intimacy with the Holy Spirit, if he wants to stifle the overflow, he just needs to introduce sin. He also knows that he can go regularly and he, does reg and he does it regularly before the throne of grace and say, God, you can't do that because of sin. And that's why the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. But thanks be to God who causes you and I to triumph. For we're not helpless. We have victory over sin. You and I have victory over sin. And so the sixth truth is this. That you and I must understand and believe the revocable and the eternal truth that for as many of us who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that we have been delivered and we have been set free from sin. And that the power of sin and its consequences is broken over our lives if we believe, we must believe. Because in the words of Apostle Paul in Romans 8.2, and I'm reading the NLT, because you belong to him, Christ Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I'll read it to us again in the Amplified. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new beginning has set you and I from the, free from the law of sin and death. And I'll read it again from the Passion Translation, that for the law of the spirit of life, flowing through the anointing of Jesus, has liberated us from the law of sin and death. Jesus said in John 8, 36, that he who the Son sets free 
is free indeed. It's free from sin. And so sin shall not have dominion over you and I. In the mouth of two or more witnesses, a thing is established. You and I have been set free through Christ Jesus from sin. And you and I have to really believe this truth. That the power of sin is broken. It's right, it's entitlement, it's justification has been broken. We are set free. You and I are set free. I'm reminded of sometimes where you get a whale caught in a net. And the whale is struggling. And a deep sea diver will come and cut off the net. Cut it off and take it off. And, and he's willing the whale to swim, to swim, to swim. You're free. But oftentimes you see the whale just sitting there. Almost like he's, he's become bound in his mind. You and I, we are free. Jesus has cut the net over our lives. We are free. We are free from sin. Jesus opened the door when he hung on the cross. And our sins were nailed permanently on the cross. And you know the same way we give our lives to Jesus Christ and we are delivered from hell and eternal damnation. It's the same way when we give our lives to Christ, we are delivered from sin. We are not slaves to sin. We are not. And today I've come to encourage someone, someone here today, someone watching online as I encourage myself. That it doesn't matter what the sin is. It doesn't matter what it's called. It doesn't matter how long it's been there. It doesn't matter how many generations it's been in your family. For as long as you are a believer and you believe in Christ Jesus, the power of sin is broken. And the seventh truth that we need to know is that as believers, when we come before the throne of grace and we come in the power of the blood of Jesus, Satan has no legal foot to accuse us. You know, one of my favorite scriptures is Romans 8.1. I love it. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. There is no guilty verdict. There is no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. Or the TPT says, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. For once we repent, uh, once we ask God to forgive us of our sins, once we plead the blood of Jesus, uh, God says to the devil, the case is closed, the case is closed. You can't accuse her, you can't accuse him anymore. The case is closed. And so someone listening to me today or somebody listening online will say, so shall I what next? How do I practically live in the reality of the truth that I've heard today? How do I disentangle myself from the net of sin? How do I disentangle myself from a sin that so easily besets? How do I disentangle myself from an addiction? How do I disentangle myself from an, a habitual sin? How do I break generational sins that are dogging my steps and holding me bound? How do I? How do I strive to live a sin-free life that pleases the Holy Spirit so that he will dwell mightily in me? I believe the starting point is a knowing and a remembering that God is love. Oh, how he loves you and I. He loves us with an everlasting love. And that is why the Bible says in John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, will not perish because of sin, but have eternal life. You must remember that God loves you and I. And love covers a multitude of sins. And so because he loves us, he made a permanent way of deliverance from sin for us through his son, Jesus Christ. The second thing we must know is the knowledge of what Jesus achieved for us when he took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. 
The Bible talks about Jesus in Hebrews, that he's a high priest. And how he became a sin offering for us once and for all. The Bible talks about a high priest who understands our weaknesses. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He empathizes with us because he walked amongst us like man. But the only difference between you and I is that he did not sin. But because he walked amongst us, he's able to feel how we feel. And so in modern day terms, he gets it. But he also understands the import of sin. He understands the impact of sin. And so he says, child, I love you. I understand what you're going through. But hey, I'm here to enable you to overcome the power of sin. Thirdly, we daily and continuously need to declare and enforce through our words the truth of his word. You know, I love the scripture in Galatians 5.1, and I read it from the Amplified and TPT again. Galatians 5.1 says, it was for this freedom that Christ set us free, completely liberating us. Therefore, keep standing firm. And do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery, which you once were removed from. Or as the TPT eloquently puts it, let me be clear, Paul speaking, the anointed one Jesus has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. So we must confess and declare continuously by his word over our lives the truth of his word. That I am free, I am free. I am no longer a slave to sin. That the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has delivered me from the sin of the law, sin and death. For words have power. And the word of God has much power. And the word of God is spirit and, in, and it's life. And it creates and it restores. And it delivers and it enforces. And if we enforce and if we believe and if we receive our healing through our words and we enforce our prosperity through our words and we enforce our promotions and all the things we are believing for through our words, we need to enforce our deliverance from sin and all the works of sin through our words. We must declare daily that I am no longer a slave to sin. So you this sin, you cannot have dominion over me. We must declare it. I love the message translation of Romans 6, 11 to 14. And it says, from now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Hallelujah. Don't ever run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourself wholeheartedly and full time. Remember you have been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Verse 14 says, sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you are not living under that old tyranny any longer. You are living in the freedom of God. And so our journey over the last few months as a church of developing an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit has seen us learning so much about his nature and his character. And in the journey of striving to live a sin-free life, today we see another character of the Holy Spirit. And that is the one who empowers us to overcome sin and to live a sin-free life. For the Holy Spirit, the revealer of the heart, is the one who makes us aware of thoughts of our hearts that displease and grieve him. It is the Holy Spirit, our intercessor, who helps us oftentimes in the spirit 
to pray prayers of deliverance that deliver us from traps and snares of the enemy. It is the Holy Spirit that advocates who pleads in the courts of heaven on our behalf and who silences the accuser of the brethren and says, no, the case is closed. It is the Holy Spirit who strengthens us when we find ourselves in times of temptation and dangerous situations. He strengthens us to resist those temptations and flee. And it's the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The truth of his word that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all, to cleanse us and to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And it is the Holy Spirit, our teacher, who reminds us who we are, who reminds us that we are loved by God, who reminds us that we are bought with a price, who reminds us that we are God's, who reminds us that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost and so sin should not have any dominion or have its part in our lives, that we are no longer slaves to sin. And it's the Holy Spirit who dwells on our inside, who empowers us to live a sin-free life. And we can do it. Because you know, God is just. And he will never ask you and I to do anything that he hasn't made provision for. And the provision he has made is given him his Holy Spirit to help you and I. If we will just ask him to help us to live a life that is devoid of sin. And a life that when we do sin, we're quick to repent and ask God to forgive us. You know, Cain, God told Cain in that scripture we read earlier, Genesis 4, 7, that he, God told him that he can master sin. But it's not by power in the words of Zechariah 4, 6. It's not by power. It's not by might. It's not by force. It's not by strength. But it's by the spirit of the living God. It is only through the help of the Holy Spirit and intimate relationship with him where we are yielding and we're submitted to his way and to his will and to his commandments. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Lord, if you say sit, I sit. If you say stand, I stand. If you say don't go there, I don't go there. If you say don't do that, I don't do that. It doesn't matter what it looks like. If you say don't marry that guy, I don't marry him. It's all about me. If you say give my tithe and offering, I do it. It's obedience. It's about him. It's about yielding and submitting to the Holy Spirit's dictates. And you know, the Holy Spirit is also our standby, and I love that. And it means that he's always there with us. He's never leaving us. He's never forsaking us. He's always standing by. When he sees the trap, he pulls us back. When he sees the snare, he pulls us back. When he sees things that are set to hold us bound, he pulls us back. But we must be yielded and submitted to him. We mustn't be that, no, Lord, I'll do it my way or I'll do it halfway. No, we must be yielded and submitted to him. And so that way, he cleanses us by the blood of Jesus. And we're open for him to pour out his spirit like never before. That the overflow of God's spirit that we've been crying for since the beginning of the year, it will flow in our lives. That the keeper of the stream can release the dam in our lives, the overflow. That men and women, as we go to work, as we go to school, they will see us and they will say the spirit of God in us. And they will see his glory. And so today, I'd like to make an altar call. And the first call is for anyone here. And if you're watching online and it applies to you, just pray by faith and the Holy Spirit is everywhere. 
And you know, the start of this journey of living a life that is free from sin, it starts with Jesus. Because the honest truth is that you can't know that you're sinning if Jesus, the word, is not making it clear that, child, what you're doing is not pleasing in my sight. So that's the starting point. And so today, if you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, if you're dogged by sin and things that you're like, God, how do I, how do I get out of it? There's power in the name of Jesus to break every yoke, to break every chain. But it starts with a relationship with him. And you know, the Holy Spirit is the one that draws us near. He's the one that draws us to Jesus and Jesus reconciles us with the Father. And so if you're here today, Jesus' house, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what your sin is. The Word of God says that if your sin be as red as crimson, as red as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. And so if you're out there today and you don't know Jesus, he's calling you. He's knocking on the door of all our hearts, but he's knocking on your door today and saying, child, daughter, son, come to me. Come to me. Come to me and let me be your Lord and Savior. Let me break the hold of those sins. And let me make you brand new. So if that is you, I'd like you to raise your hand today. I'm not out to embarrass you. I'm not out to put the spotlight on you. But it's just a show so I know that you are there and I can pray with you. Is there anyone who's saying I'd like to make Jesus the Lord of my life today? Today is a great day to do it. A day when the Holy Spirit is here breaking strongholds of sin. Hallelujah. The second call I'd like to make is for people that are particularly struggling with a particular sin. You've done all you know how to do. You've done all you know how to do. You've, thank you. You prayed, you fasted, you cried out. You've done pursuit of God. You've done all you know how to do. But that sin just seems to dog your steps. You know the Holy Spirit has come to Jesus' house today to break every stronghold, every stranglehold of sin. And so that if that is you, I'd like to invite you to come to the altar, to come. For the Holy Spirit is here breaking yokes, breaking strangleholds of sin. For of a truth, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. So if that's you, I'd like to invite you forward. And the pastors are going to pray with you. And today, that stronghold will end. We'll walk in the truth and in the reality of the fact that he that is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, everything has become new. You know, the enemy can sit there and tell you, you know, it's okay. It's not okay. For sin will keep you away from our God. And nothing should keep us away from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Hallelujah. 
and the truth is not in us. Church, don't be a spectator. You might not be out here, but you and I know the secret sins in our heart. And so let us engage the Holy Spirit. Don't be a spectator. Let each one of us deal with our, with our life with God. Don't be a spectator. There is power in the name of Jesus. Oh, what a name. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus oh, to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, to break every chain. Jesus, there is power. There 
from all unrighteousness father we celebrate you in this place father we thank you we bless you in jesus name 